are Locked On Dolphins, your daily Miami Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Dolphins fans, and welcome to this Friday episode of Locked On Dolphins. This is your host, Kyle Krabs, managing editor of USA Today's Dolphins Wire, director of scouting at thedraftnetwork.com, lifelong Miami Dolphins fan, and pumped up for Power to the Pot, a Friday edition. And listen, lots to look forward to. Really excited to get into a more interactive setting for Power to the Pod. Uh, already see a couple of you guys in the YouTube comments section, Locked on Dolphins. If you're hearing it on the podcast, don't worry. I'm doing iTunes reviews. I'm doing Twitter questions. I got the live stream comments. It's going to be total chaos, but it's also going to be a lot of fun. And since it's the weekend, I want to shout out my friends over at The Drunken Dolphin. Make sure you guys get a look. Wonderful little drinking glass he sent over. Uh, very, very cool of him to offer one up. And we're going to have a little bit of Basil Hayden this evening on the show. So, very casual here. Casual Thursday. Technically casual Friday on the podcast stream. Happy hour. Let's do this thing. Got a lot of iTunes reviews questions we're going to dive into first. It's Power to the Pod. Your show, your questions, your hot takes, your reactions, anything and everything Miami Dolphins, and sometimes things not related to the Miami Dolphins. Uh, yes, shout out to Pat McAfee and his cameo on the mountain on Wednesday night. It was, uh, was great to see. First question from iTunes reviews comes from Ripple Rat. Kyle, hashtag lifelong fin fan, love the show. By all appearances, Tua is close to 100% healthy. Last year, he flashed some skills in his ability to escape the pocket and make dynamic plays. I put his over under at 400 yards rushing. What say you and Ripple Rat? I say take the under. Uh, I would be surprised if they really ran to You want to utilize his mobility and his quick footedness within the pocket to create plays in the passing game. I don't think anytime you're getting in like the 400 yard range, that's kind of like you're scheming up some looks in the QB run game. And I think that's probably something the dolphins will avoid, uh, especially when you consider the extension of the passing game and the extension of the running game. That is the explosive skill players that they brought in to kind of juice this thing up and create more explosive plays uh, by getting the ball in other guys' hands really quick. If, if Tua's style of play as a quarterback is going to be a point guard, let him be a point guard. Let these other guys do the heavy lifting. I, I'm going to take the under on 400 yards rushing, but I do agree he looks like he's back to 100% health as far as the quick twitch dynamic of his game. Uh, 72 perfect left a five-star review and no question. Bless you, man. Thanks for leaving it. A or Al Dolphin. Here you go. Uh, love you on the show. Listen since day one. Really appreciate your listenership. Question, if your point on a recent podcast about Gasecki filling the big-bodied receiver role comes to fruition, which it did not, although we, we still need to figure out if we're going to carry seven wide receivers throughout the entirety of the season. Might not be the case. What would that, what potential ramifications would that have in a contract year for Mike Gusecki. I mean, he's already dropping 700 plus yards. I, I, we did the fantasy show a while back where we looked at fantasy projections for all these guys. And 
Um, I don't think I'd put Mike much higher than that, to be honest with you. I think the production will probably be similar because he played a ton last year. I don't think playing a receiver role is going to get you more targets. I think there is, and this was more of a debate from like Jimmy Graham back in the day, right? Where when he was playing in New Orleans, it was the big question with the franchise tag of does he get the wide receiver tender or the tight end tender? I don't think Mike has as good of a case as what Jimmy did. Uh, So I I don't think there's going to be much to work with uh, because 80% of his snaps came in the slot. And and I expect that to be the case, even if he does take over a big-bodied wide receiver role, if they were to move on from a guy like Preston Williams via trade once the season starts, if they found they got some value there or something like that. Unholy cut. What are your favorite passing concepts you think the Dolphins can excel with? This is an interesting question. Obviously, the RPO type stuff is it's um, it's buzzy this week. I know Omar Kelly put together kind of a spotlight on how the Dolphins have pieced together uh, an ideal offense for Tua Tagovailoa that is rooted in a lot of RPO concepts. And I mean, they did a lot of RPO stuff last year once Tua came in. Uh, and there are strengths and weaknesses with that. I think one thing that the Dolphins can benefit from is B and C level RPOs and not just the glance slant or the bubble or the now, right? That now screen is your, you got two receivers stacked in the bottom guy, literally just at the snap of the football runs the little hitch, right? The glance slant is the guy who's on the ISO side, takes three-step, bang. He wraps around that nickel defender or that linebacker playing on the hash, and you're looking for an immediate window throw. That's the pass that he completed to Mac Hollins uh, against Atlanta. That was the glance slant. Um, I think with the more dynamic players, some RPOs that are are working off of deeper defenders, uh, the safety primarily, uh, is something that, you would benefit from having more threats other than just a lot of quick hitting stuff at the line of scrimmage. That's going to allow guys to creep down on you. Uh, And I know we got some questions about RPOs a little later in the show. So I want to save some of that commentary for that. Jersey time from Kurt millions. Kyle, I'm torn between picking a Jersey. Which should I get Tua, Gusecki, Waddle or Zach Thomas? Here's my rule of thumb for jerseys. Wait until they're done because you just never know, right? So if you're going to put a bunch of young guys, including a guy in a contract year and Mike Gusecki on your short list for jerseys, I'm taking the guy who played his career in Miami and has a really strong case to end up in the Pro Football Hall of Fame in the next couple of years. I'd be buying the Zach Thomas jersey. That would be my choice. Uh, Johnson at AOL, five-star review, no question. Bless you. Come on, guys, get these questions in. Take advantage of it. Sure, a bunch of you guys in the comments. I see all of you dropping your comments. There's some kind of question about uh, dad shadow uh, or playoff beard or what? Yes, it's a play. Let's call it a playoff beard, Pat. Uh, Dylan, five-star review. As of right now, who is your offensive line? My ideal offensive line at this point in time, especially for week one against New England, is going to be Austin Jackson, Solomon Kinley, Michael Dieter, Robert Hunt, Jesse Davis. His experience versus Liam, Liam being banged up and missing some significant time in practice, 
um, and being bounced back and forth between guard and tackle, I don't want to run that out week one. Uh, so if anything, I'm looking to maybe get a little extra help with the tight end, uh, chipping or, or, or lined up next to Jesse to give him some help. I'll try and slide that way when I can. Uh, instead of leaving him on the backside and sliding away from him so you get more two-way goes if you go four-man slide protection the other way. That's what I want to avoid with Jesse Davis. Uh, let's see. UE, four, five-star review, question on Jalen Phillips. Uh, please tell me this isn't going to be another Mike Gusecki, Adam Gase situation where he's forced to be in coverage a lot once the season starts. Will Jalen mainly be a pass rusher? I don't have an answer here, but what I would say is this. How often in the Brian Flores era do you reflect with the usage, particularly on the defensive side of the ball, and say, man, they're really using that guy out of role? Remember um, the, the conflicts that took place with uh, Raquan McMillan, right? His snap production dropped completely off a cliff. And it was because they refused to put him out in the field in disadvantageous situations from a personnel perspective. I genuinely believe the preseason this year was figuring out what he is and is not comfortable doing, what he can and cannot do. And from there, they're going to make their executive decisions. And we know he can rush the passer. So I would expect, yes, you're going to see a lot of Jalen Phillips rushing the passer. You're going to see if you go upstairs in my pantry, you're going to see a lot of built bar, a whole lot of built bar, built bar is a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Guys, these things are top of the first round talent, high in protein, high in fiber, low in calories, low in sugar, 100% chocolate on all their bars, 10 different flavors to choose from. And right now you can go to BuiltBar.com, use promo code LOCKED15, and save 15% off your next order. That's BuiltBar.com, promo code LOCKED15 to save 15% off your next order of the world's most delicious protein bar. Mm. JP, I see you coming out of the commercial break. If you're watching, hit like, subscribe on this video on the channel. Make sure you get that push notification when we do go live. Obviously, this week we've been hot and heavy on the live stream in addition to the podcast feed. And uh, recording time is not always going to be regular for me at the same time, unfortunately. That's just being a dad, working from home. My wife's got to go to the office to work. There's college football tonight. So I'm getting in a little early, happy hour version here of Power to the Pod on a Thursday night. So hit subscribe, hit like on the video, make sure you stay plugged in. If you're listening on the podcast feed, you're not into interactive stuff, that's fine. Just hang in there. You'll keep getting these podcasts every night. They drop at 9 p.m. You can listen in the evening, in the morning, wherever, whenever. Last iTunes review question, by the way. Tuesday Cuts from NK Dolphin for Life. Hey, Kyle, thanks for all your hard work. Love the show. Thank you for listening, my friend. How the heck did Kirk Merritt not make the roster? I get Mac Hollins replacing Preston Williams and Merritt replacing Grant. What do you think? So it feels like this was strategic, right? And it seemed like the Dolphins wanted to get both Malcolm Perry and Kirk Merritt back all in one shot. That obviously did not happen. Uh, Malcolm Perry got claimed by the Patriots in perhaps one of the least surprising moves in the waiver wire. Um, 
I would ultimately say the Dolphins made a calculated bet with a number of players that did not make the active roster that those guys were going to clear waivers just because of the quality of talent that was getting cut from elsewhere around the league. And some teams, they've kind of been working with this knowledge that the expanded practice squad roster is going to give them a little extra advantage as far as who they can stash, right? Because you look around the league and there are players that have no business being on a practice squad that are on a practice squad. Some of these guys would simply be street free agents right now that you wait until somebody gets injured and then you would sign and play out the, re- the year for that team. But the expanded practice squads almost gives you the opportunity to call dibs, right? And say, well, we're, we're going to have this guy in our building. We're going to keep him inside structure and within COVID protocol. And that way, you know, we can call him up at any given point in time. And I think for the Dolphins, knowing you had a young guy like Kirk Merritt in the midst of this wide receiver room, they made a calculated risk. It paid off for Reed Sinnott. It paid off for Jared Dokes. It paid off for Kirk Merritt. Did not pay off for Malcolm Perry. It is what it is. Uh, We'll take it in stride. Appreciate that uh, you get the opportunity to to lock in a lot of these young guys and develop them. And I wouldn't be surprised to see a lot of these practice squad rules and procedures hang in even after uh, the COVID stuff kind of calms down a little bit whenever that may be. Let's go through the live stream a little bit. I've got a bunch of Twitter questions, but you guys have been popping off in the live stream. So we're going to make sure that we uh, we tackle some of these. Uh, Jack, if New England takes away what we do best, what are they taking away? It's not the run. Is it the RPO? Can you explain what that looks like? Question mark. I would say if, you, if you're going to take away what Miami does best with this skill group, I would say it's the vertical game. And that's a really odd statement to make based off of last year's offense, considering it's the same quarterback that started the second half of the season. But you didn't add all this speed to just nickel and dime people to death. You didn't. And you go back and you listen to what Trent Dilfer had to say about Tua Tagovailoa coming out of college. And he said he was the most effective four verts passer he's ever seen. And that's not just throwing the ball 50 yards down the field, right? Like, We saw the highlights from Justin Herbert in training camp, stepping up out of the pocket. He's rolling to his right, and he uncorks one 60 yards down the field on a rope. Tua doesn't have that kind of arm, and he doesn't need to have that kind of arm to effectively run four verts. It's the timing, the accuracy, the ability. Travis Wingfield's referenced this a ton. His ability to speed up his cadence with his feet when he's in his drop, when he sees something's uncovering quickly, really speed that up, speed that process up, get his back foot in the ground, and throw that ball into tight windows when there is simultaneously vertical and horizontal stretch. Uh, I think that's a real winner for Miami. Watching some of the concepts that we got to see throughout the course of the preseason, uh, I've heard Steve Sarkeesian reference this in some coaching clinics talking about his time at Alabama and the passing concepts. Uh, They they talk about a a three-level stretch. on It's effectively a half-field read but they're running something vertical, whether it's a post and then they're running a deep over and then they're running the shallow cross underneath of it. And it's, you read it high to low, right? Or depending on game situation, you could technically read it low to high. And if you wanted to alert the home run shot, you could, but I think about what you have with the opportunity to run a deep post with a crossing route with Waddle and Fuller when those guys are healthy or Albert Wilson, right? Or Jakeem Grant. 
preferably not. But uh, that level of speed stretching you and, and putting stress on the A to B level and then the B to the C level and then the C level, simul- like all three of those things simultaneously, that's going to be really hard to be right consistently. Now, the challenge there is you have to have pass protection that's going to hold up to give you an opportunity to push down the field. And you can't do RPOs off of that because part of the sell on RPOs is you you block the front like it's a run. So you can't leave an end man on the line of scrimmage unblocked, or you can't leave a back in protection where he can alert and come off of it and try and pick up a defensive end off the field. And you've got five on the blocking surface trying to block five or six guys. That's not you. You want to have a numbers advantage in protection if you can. So that gets into a little bit more play action passing and away from some of the RPO stuff. So that's something I've tried to, to educate myself as best as I can. This past offseason is the benefit and the appeal and the risks of RPOs. And one of the biggest general consensus, whether it was Mike Gundy or Steve Sarkeesian or somebody else, is you're going to block your RPOs in the front like you would block the run. And if you're going to take shot plays, that's a really hard way to make a living consistently. Let's see. Next question. Ziggy Zag, in your opinion, what must happen this season for Tua and Flores to have a successful year? Um, I, I want to be modest with my expectations for Tua. Uh, and if he overshoots them, we're playing with house money. I would hate to come out and say 4,200 yards, 30 touchdowns, 10 intercepts. Like, that's a really high bar to set. And I understand you got an extra game. And I'm expecting good things from Tua Tungavaloa this year based on having seen him in the preseason, getting a chance to see him down in camp for a couple of days. I need to see, like, the kind of consistency, ball security, bright big moment flashes, couple big-time throws per game down the field. It's a reference I made uh, not too long ago. Baker Mayfield, that style of play uh, is really what I'm hoping to see. I need to see you be able to sort out pressure a little bit more, continue to be a killer in play action passing. His ball handling skills and RPO is phenomenal. It's how do you find the better balance to threaten all areas of the field? And that's one thing I will say, and I don't know if this is because of how Chan Gailey coached his wide receivers to run their routes or whatever, but you watched a lot of times, not a lot of times, but too many times last year when you watch the offense, there's three guys within a five-yard box. And it's like, okay, well, two guys can cover those three guys simultaneously just because of the spacing. You're watching Miami this year. There's a little bit more mirrored route concepts. You got three guys vertical and two guys underneath, and it's spaced really well. So somebody's going to be in conflict if you're playing zone coverage against that. And they've got the speed where once they got everybody on the field, you can really stress those guys if they try and play man-to-man coverage against you. So I like your odds there. So that's kind of conceptually what I'm hoping to see from the passing offense, particularly with two, as far as Flores, let's keep this player development moving in the right direction. I understand not everybody's going to progress at the same rate, but I absolutely positively want to continue to see the young guys, the guys that they brought in and hand selected, these guys grow, continue to become more of difference makers. And if that happens, I think we're going to be primed for a really good season. See here, Pat. Relax. 
The ghost of Adam Gase wants to know what my favorite built bar flavor is. I like the mint brownie, if I'm being honest with you. There's some seasonal stuff. The peppermint one was clutch. The grasshopper cookie was phenomenal. Uh, but uh, as the, the ones in regular rotation, I'll probably go mint brownie. Kyle, did you see the Mitch Schwartz quarterback philosophy comments? Dude seems really smart. You know, he's old and hurt and whatnot. Jeez, man, he's not that much older than I am. You got to relax with that kind of stuff. But damn, if I'm not interested in a one-year deal. I did see his comments about finding quarterbacks that can win in third and long. And effectively, it was you could find a lot of quarterbacks that can be efficient in the passing game if you're running um, a lot of play action pass, you stay balanced on offense. First and second down, it's not super complicated to have success. But when the opposing team knows what you have to do and you still find ways to beat them, that's where a quarterback really makes his hay. So, yes, and situational football is what it's all about. Third downs, red zone, two-minute offense, end of game. Absolutely. That's, those are the, the kinds of context that you want to see a quarterback thrive in with consistency. I love looking at how many two-minute drives a quarterback engineers um, at the end of a half. And the Dolphins were pretty good at that last year. And they had success doing that against Atlanta. They took over with about 30 seconds left, needing 25 yards to get a kickoff. They did get the kickoff. Jason Sanders just having to miss it. Whatever, it's the preseason. It's Jason Sanders. I'm not too, uh, too worried about it. But um, I think Mitchell Schwartz is absolutely onto something with the idea that it matters what a quarterback does in high-stress game situations, and that's going to be the litmus test for Tua Tungvaloa beyond just the statistics. And I know, who was it? JP got a little mad uh, at the 4,200 yards uh, as an arbitrary number that was thrown out. I'm doing this thing live now. You know, I'm doing it off the cuff. Uh, EM Dolphin fan, how concerned are you about the Dolphins' ability to stop the run consistently now that McKinney was released? I'm very concerned. Um, I know I mentioned this when it happened on Monday. This is not a move I would have made. I would have liked to have had the added depth, the security of knowing that Darnold McKinney was on the roster in addition to Elan and Roberts. I think Bernard McKinney's entire body of work and resume is more important or more impressive, I should say, than Elandon Roberts. But I also understand Elandon Roberts has played in this specific system. And these coaches know him. And he did take steps forward throughout the second half of the year last year. Is that enough to make me feel comfortable in the, their ability to stop the run? That depends, depends on how the front plays. If the defensive, if the down three when you're playing bare fronts and Sealer, Wilkins, and Davis, or whoever else is rotated in amid that group. If those three guys control B-gap to B-gap, I really don't care who's playing linebacker because they're going to have room to work to tackle, and there's not, there's not going to be those issues. Now, you think about how Denver countered that is they ran a ton of sweep, power sweep, to the perimeter against the bare front. And they think that was the 60s Packers or something was what they they tapped into to come out with that power sweep. And everybody blocks down, the guard pulls around, and he kicks out a man on the line of scrimmage. So your edge defenders have to play 
stout, and they have to play in a big way. So that's why I like the addition of a guy like Jabal Sheard. Uh, I like the presence of Brennan Scarlett. Jalen Phillips obviously has huge potential in this capacity. Um, but I think you got to be a little wary of, of playing Van Ginkle in that kind of role too often if teams are going to do that consistently. So it's going to be a week-to-week type thing. Um, against New England, I like your ability to lock horns inside and create stalemates. Um, uh, but the linebackers are going to make or break it as far as their ability to stay disciplined, uh, read their keys, process run. The defensive line does have a little extra stress because you got to hold the line of scrimmage and the point of attack a little bit longer uh, to make sure that you know, as the linebackers are processing run or pass, uh, they're not getting sucked out of position and creating big voids. Next question. Let's go to the uh, the Twitter questions here. Better yet, while I'm pulling up Locked On Finn's Twitter questions, got to tell you about my friends over at Bet Online. It's that time of year again, and all eyes are now turning to the gridiron. Football season is here, and as always, Bet Online is your number one spot for all the pro and college action this season. Get all the updated odds, props, and contests, including the half million dollar NFL Mega Contest and the world's largest two hundred thousand dollar NFL Survivor Contest. Open now at Bet Online. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today. Receive a 100% welcome bonus. Be sure to take advantage of their opening day super promo. Make a bet on the Thursday, September 9th game against the Bucks and the Cowboys. And if you lose, your wager will be refunded up to $25 for new customers only when signing up and using promo code NFL100. BetOnline is the fastest and the easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports from football, basketball, boxing, and so on. Don't wait. Take advantage of all the great offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts, promo code NFL100 or promo code Locked On. So Locked On Dolphins Twitter questions. I was prompted into the Twitter questions no less than an hour ago. It was the time of this recording. And wouldn't you know, you guys already dropped 30, 30 questions in addition to the live stream. Pat, who's also here in the live stream, because I know Pat. Why does it seem so hard for the Dolphins to develop offensive linemen? This is the million-dollar question, right? This is kind of been the bugaboo for this offensive unit for quite a while. Uh, I, I think some of it comes down to uh, stability in knowing what you want in the offensive line. Uh, you have in Adam in the Adam Gase years, we really just kind of glossed over a lot of the offensive line issues uh, because Peyton Manning made a decent offensive line into a really good one during his time with the Broncos when he was there because it's Peyton freaking Manning and he understands how to set protections like nobody else in the history of the league. So you spend an entire offseason needing two offensive guards and you just bring in Josh Sitton. And he gets hurt in the first game, and now you got to play 15 games without him, and we're surprised it doesn't work out well. But uh, I think having a team identity in general has been an issue for the Dolphins in all levels and, and all aspects of building a franchise. And offensive line play, now we have an identity. 
we know exactly what the Dolphins want to be as an offense, as a defense, and as an entire franchise. But here's the problem. I know you can look across the league and find a lot of great offensive linemen, but good offensive linemen coming out of college are really hard to find. And it gets back into some of the things that we talked about with RPOs. The RPO is so prevalent at the college level, spread offenses, a lot of the, the air raid systems, you're not asked to take true pass sets in the air raid. You're not. So, And, and that was a good learning lesson for uh, the Philadelphia Eagles when they drafted Andre Dillard out of Washington State. He played, Travis is going to kill me talking about Washington State and Andre Dillard, but you know what? The Mike Leach offense, those offensive tackles, they don't have to block for more than two seconds in a lot of instances. It was one of the concerns with Tevin Jenkins coming out of Oklahoma State with Mike Gundy. I never took true pass sets because so much of what they did, they blocked their play action like they were block and run, just like they did their RPOs. That's so prevalent across the college level. It's really difficult to build a team from the ground up that's young and have pro-ready talent right away on the offensive line. I, I really think that gets glossed over. That's why I appreciate that the Dolphins are taking a draft and develop approach, but I'm also trying to keep perspective and stay patient and understand that like high technique guys coming out of college are a rare bird. Like even Penny Sewell was just an elite athlete and they switched sides on him in Detroit and he struggled like none other in, in the preseason. Guys like Tristan Wirfs coming out of a, a factory in Iowa going to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, yeah, it's a home run. And I don't doubt that the Dolphins probably made a call or two to try and get up. But they can't help that they were 18th in the order and San Francisco was one spot behind Tampa Bay in game of fourth to flip picks to go from 13 to 14 so that they could, or Tampa Bay traded up with San Francisco, excuse me, from 14 to 13 to get Werfs. And San Francisco wanted to stay where they were at so that they could draft Javon Kinlaw. At the end of the day, you can offer a three, but if San Francisco covets Javon Kinlaw, they'd rather move down one spot and guarantee they're going to get him than move down five spots and risk losing them all together. So then do you grossly overpay and we get mad that they overpay or do you take the next offensive lineman in line and it's a whole thing. If we could go back and do it over, will we draft Cesar Ruiz instead? Maybe. I know they wanted him at 26. They got sniped at 24. And then they wanted Brandon Ayuk, and they got sniped at 25. So I know a lot of people look at that 2020 draft, and they have concerns about how some of those picks went. I think they really had some tough luck, and that's really getting away from the question here about developing an offensive lineman. Uh, but I, I think there's a lot there that I'm willing to stay patient with the offensive line development because if you look at the landscape of college football, it's an ugly, ugly situation in a lot of places. Uh, CXC5, name three players that by season's end lose their starting role to somebody else. Okay, I'll do you one better. I'll name you three players by season's end that lose their starting role to somebody else, and I'll name you the players that replace them. Jesse Davis at right tackle. He's getting replaced by Liam Eikenberg. Jason McCourty at free safety. He's getting replaced by Javon Holland. Number three. And I got cocky and I got two and now I'm stuck. 
I wouldn't put it past Savon Ahmed to win the starting job by, by the time it's all said and done, too. I think he's a little bit more explosive than Miles. I think Miles ideally would be your three down or your third down back. Pass protection skills, pass catching skills. He can do everything. I just think Savon's a little bit more dyna- dynamic. So I, I, I let me let me put Savon Ahmed in there as the third guy. Chris Sinclair. Listening from Edinburgh, Scotland. Cheers, man. Gutted that Jared Dokes didn't make the 53, man. Can you see the Dolphins going in for a vet running back like Adrian Peterson or Coach Flo's favorite, Lev Bell? I think the only way that they bring in a vet is if they find themselves in contention midway through the season and somebody gets hurt. And they need a body. And they don't want they don't feel like Jared Dokes or Patrick Laird can take that opportunity. Kyle in the comments, happy Laird is back on the practice squad. Amen to that, man. He's been a tough dude for the Dolphins for two years. Uh, so I loved seeing him get another opportunity to come back, bounce back, and uh, hopefully stick with the team for a while. Tyler, do you see the sheared signing to the practice squad as an indictment of Scarlett as a mentor to Jalen or potential rotational guy in the future? I think it's just quality depth. Uh, obviously, signing guys as street-free agents in the here and now with, with the COVID protocols being what they are is a challenge. So having a little extra depth on call, on tap, be interested to see who the Dolphins choose to protect each week. You can protect up to four guys. Um, I would expect Reed Sinnott to be one of those guys, no questions asked. I'm putting Kirk Merritt on the list, but that's just me personally. Uh, Sheridan, his his experience might be a really valuable uh, tool for the Dolphins to have in their back pocket just from a depth perspective, and I think that's really what it is. Plus, his experience doesn't hurt, right? And, and having a, a rookie in Jalen Phillips doesn't hurt. I don't think that was the deciding factor, though. Last question. How many points, and this comes from Emmanuel, How many points does the Dolphins' offense need to average for us to make the playoffs this year? If you asked me this last time, this time last year, I probably would have said 400 points. And they they got there. They won 10 games. They still missed the damn playoffs. And you're averaging 27 points plus per game. I have a really hard time seeing you winning less than 11 games. 20 I'm you guys are gonna laugh but we're gonna do it again not a math guy here but if you average 27 points per game over 17 games that's 459 points you want to guarantee you make the playoffs this year score 450 points how's that that's an aggressive projection I'd be surprised if they got there because again they scored over 400 for the first time since like 86 last year um but, but my magic number, you want to get in the playoff score, 450. Hope you guys hit subscribe, like the video, hit subscribe on the channel. If you're listening on the podcast feed, hit subscribe on the podcast feed and keep it locked in right here on Locked on Dolphins. I got good news. I'm meeting up with Joe Rose tomorrow. We're going to talk a little Dolphins football on Saturday morning. You're going to get a sixth episode in your podcast feed, not on the live stream. We're done with live streams for the week. But I hope you guys enjoyed. We got a lot of opportunities to interact with one another. We got a lot of great content out, and we're going to be with you every step of the way this season. So keep it locked in. 
right here on Locked on Dolphins. I'm Kyle Krabs. Thanks, as always, for watching or listening, and enjoy your weekend. Fins up.